morning. My name is Joe Hendricks, and today we will, we will be reading from Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. And that can be found on the Pew Bible on page 528. Again, we'll be in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 15, page 528 in the Pew Bible. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for his hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. And this is the word of the Lord. Praise God. For eyes to see and ears to hear and for you to come. Uh, there is justice um, and mercy in your heart, and there is injustice and darkness in the world around us. Um, this morning we want to make sense of those things. We want to know how to respond. We ask for your help. We want to be wise, and not just academically wise or philosophically wise, but practically wise to live out what you call us to in the real world. So I want to ask God that you would um, open us up to your word, I think uh, there's a space for all of us to be challenged, uh, to be corrected, to be comforted, uh, to be awakened in a lot of ways. So we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak. Use your word uh, and help us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, we're a couple of weeks into our series in Proverbs, and we're essentially taking some themes in Proverbs and asking what does the Bible say wisdom looks like in these areas? So we've talked about relationships, we've talked about money, we've talked about work, and this morning we come to issues of justice and mercy. And we've said a couple of things about just the way the book is structured. It's really advice from, from a parent to a child is the way it's organized, kind of giving big thoughts about who God is and what that means for our life. And, and it's meant to press us into very practical spaces. So when you think about wisdom, Kind of don't think about a guy with a long beard on top of a mountain sitting distant from the world. Think about somebody with their hands in the soil. Think about somebody who's sweating. Think about somebody who's actively engaged in the world around them. That's the way the Bible talks about wisdom. It's meant to be something that's not just something that you hold on to as an ideology, but something that you live and express. And, and in fact, all of our thoughts are practical thoughts, but somehow we try to separate out um, our thoughts even from our body. We'll talk about this in a couple of weeks more, but, but there's places where we have done a lot of damage, actually, to being whole people by separating what we think and what we do. 
We're more like conflicted beings that have lots of thoughts and lots of affections. But, but the scripture is aimed at um, refining and changing and correcting our thoughts so that our lives can live in line with who God is. And it's not a call to make yourself right or good or do enough so that God would finally love you. It's a, it's a portrait. It's a, like a tapestry that shows a picture some artist has drawn that's been transferred onto fabric with all these different threads running together. It's showing you what it looks like. It's not a checklist that you would live into and then somehow be justified. It's a way of saying, if you're following after the God of the Bible, if your heart's being transformed by his love, if you're trying to understand who he is, then this is what it would look like in, in real life, which is why it says in chapter one that it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. It starts with a Godward orientation. And what you see in the pages of Proverbs is that the heart of God is towards the poor and the oppressed. It's actually for justice and mercy. Let's just go all the way to the end. Jesus came to show God's love and mercy to a fallen and broken world. He couldn't put more chips at the center of the table than his own son giving his life as a way to make things right in the world. The Bible talks about uh, the character of God, the sovereignty of God, the love of God, our free will, lots of things blurring together. But what is most clear in the scripture is that a sovereign, just God moved to solve our problem with injustice through his own self-sacrifice. And Proverbs is aiming that direction. And the Old Testament is telling that story so that when Jesus comes on the scene, it would click and it would make sense for us. So, so just so we don't get kind of wrapped up in simply understanding things or trying to act on things as it would make us right with God. I just want to be super clear up front. What Proverbs is pointing us to is what it would look like if you were following God, not what you have to do so you can follow God. The Bible talks about living from an identity, not for an identity. And then it would just make sense that justice and mercy would be all over these pages because that is the heart of God. And we tend to think about justice, even as I'm saying it, some of you guys are super nervous. You're like, wait a second, is he going social justice? How far is he going to go in this space? We're so used to politicizing and using ideologies that actually we have some fear to even talk about what does justice really look like? We, we don't want to be wrong. Like, I don't want to accidentally be Marcus, Marcus either, right? I don't want to kind of step towards things that would be unhealthy for me or for you. But in spaces where the scripture is abundantly clear, we can stand firm and be really clear. And what these pages show us over and over and over again is that you have to see the injustice around you because God sees it and he really cares about it. I want to use two verses to kind of frame our time before we jump into chapter two. One of them is in Proverbs 22, 8 and 9. The other one is in Proverbs 28, 27. Maybe just write them down. But they say this, Proverbs 22, 8 and 9 says this, whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. And the rod of his fury will fail. So those who seek injustice, it's going to come back on them. There will be ultimate justice. It's a promise. And then he says, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. There's a biblical scholar named Christy McLennan who walked through this idea of what it means to have a bountiful eye, or it can be translated a good eye. And it's a, it's a way of talking about justice and generosity. It's a way of seeing people, right? So we, we talk about like being seen by somebody and what it means to have them recognize where we are, who we are, our story, our needs. So to have a good eye, to have a bountiful eye is to see people and to move towards them with generosity. And whoever has a bountiful eye, a good eye, 
will be blessed because they share their bread with the poor. They take what they've been given and they give it. Proverbs 28, 27 says the opposite of this. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. So on one side, you have a a call to a good, bountiful, generous eye and then a warning not to hide your eyes. Those two passages as I studied the last couple of weeks kind of stood out to me as a call to us simply to see, to not hide our eyes, to to not turn away from what we see in the world around us, but, but to move towards the injustice that we see. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I've come across a scene of injustice, some, some sort of fight, some sort of moment where there's, there's things happening. Maybe somebody's being harmed or attacked or yelled at. And you have that thing in your gut that flares up and you partly want to do something and you're partly scared. And now we have all kinds of fears of cameras that might be filming things. So you're not sure what to do in that moment. But have you ever had the space where you come across some situation, some injustice? And I'm talking now about things that you would, you would see that would be out of the ordinary. I think we actually see lots of things that are unjust that we just kind of take in as normal, but, but kind of come to that emotional space for a second where you, you walked up on something and you knew something wasn't right. And that feeling inside your gut was to stir you towards some sort of action. We were in Lawrence a couple of years ago with our family. There's a great po'boy shop there. And so we go sometimes just to get a po'boy. And we were there. And as we were walking in, there was this couple walking down the street They were on a whole lot of things, I think. And as they were coming down the street, they broke out into some sort of fight. And she began to just beat this dude up. And it was a little comical at the beginning because they're kind of moving in slow motion. And then it like wasn't so funny. And so we kind of herded our kids away from the scene, but but kind of watched this and kind of had this moment of uncertainty. I'm 6'2", 260 pounds. I should not be afraid of this woman in this space uh, but there was a place where I got kind of froze for a second. And, and that later on, we got into the restaurant and my daughter, in her prophetic voice that she's happy to use lots of times in my life, just goes, Dad, why didn't you do something? And I was like, I, I don't know. I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what would be the best thing. And so I chose inaction in that moment. I don't know if you've ever been there, but sometimes it comes at you and you have this mixture of thoughts and feelings and ideas. And I think what the Proverbs want to do for us is put some, this is what you should do in front of us so that when we're faced with moments, we can move towards the heart of God and express that in the world. I just lead with one of my failures just to go, I know it can be difficult and challenging There's lots of different ideologies and there's political things going on. And what I love about the scriptures is it cuts right through all of that. The Proverbs is full of like real people, like real widows and real orphans. It's not ideas and concepts. It's it's real scales and real markets that are tuned to be unjust. It's real boundary markers that somebody can move to steal and oppress somebody who's defenseless to do something about it. It's real money. It's, it's real hunger. It's real pain. It's real injustice. It's real loss of inheritance. It's real vulnerability. Proverbs is this visceral, earthy book that shows us in real life. So to where you feel maybe like me, confused about ideologies, this is a good, helpful correction for us just to simply move towards the heart of God. So, so I want to use this idea of seeing to frame our time. 
I want to just go in three movements. One, to see where, where the heart of justice and mercy begins. I want to start there with this passage in chapter 2. And then I want to just see what Proverbs says broadly. And then I want to see what is our hope and solution. So, so to see where justice and mercy begin, then to see a broad kind of framing of wisdom, and then to see where our solution actually lies with Jesus. So, so I want your eyes to fall down to verse 9 of chapter 2. This is why we're in this passage. Uh, it starts with the then, so I'll have to explain where the then comes from. But he says, says, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. So, so it's aimed at something is happening at the beginning of this that's aimed at helping us understand what righteousness and justice and equity look like. And, and in fact, that's a quote from chapter one of Proverbs. It says, if you'll engage with wisdom, then, then I will give you these things. These three words become like a framework in the ancient world for what it means to move towards people with compassion. It's, it's a vocabulary to think about what is mercy in action. What does it look like to actually draw close to people? So, so we want to aim at like, how do we get to a space of righteousness and justice and equity? So, so jump back up into verse 1. This whole chapter is kind of one gigantic conditional clause He's going to say, this is what needs to happen. If this happens, then this will take place. So look in verse 1. He says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commands within you, let my law, my word, my character, my, my heart begin to shape you. If you treasure that, if you hold on to that, if it's on the inside, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight, if you ask for help, you're there on the street and something's going on and you don't know what to do. If you'll, if you'll ask for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Chapter 1 says everything begins with the fear of the Lord. This passage that's moving towards justice says at the epicenter of this whole thing is the heart of God. If you'll ask, if you'll seek, if you'll draw out to him, then you'll actually understand what he's like, what it means to worship him, what it means to actually respect and orient your life around the fact that you have a creator, that he's going to be your judge. He loves you, but he's not to be trifled with how to ask and orient your life around what he calls you to. So if you'll ask for it, you'll see the fear of the Lord. For the Lord gives wisdom. And his mouth, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of the saints. The heart of God is to actually lead us towards justice. Do you see that? If you'll understand the heart of God, if you'll see God for who he is, if you'll take his character in, then he actually moves and guards and shields you along this path of integrity along this path leading towards justice, watching over the way of his people. And this idea of a path is in contrast later on. I'll talk about the paths of the crooked, the paths of the wicked. There, there are two paths, Jesus says. And Proverbs keeps putting these two choices in front of us. And you only have two. You don't get a third or fourth or fifth option. There's just two. It's living in light of the fear of the Lord, orienting your heart around him as your creator, or looking to something else to be the thing that would satisfy your longings, to be the thing that would give you purpose and meaning and hope. So I simply want to say at the beginning here, the heart of the beginning place of the foundation of an understanding of mercy and justice and equity comes from God himself. And it would make a ton of sense because that is who he is. 
It is what his character is like. The Psalms are full of these descriptions of God as one who is righteous and just. So like Psalm 89, 14 says that his very foundation of his throne, what he sits upon is justice and righteousness. And the Old Testament promise of the Messiah coming is that he would come and rule and reign in righteousness and justice. Think about the songs you sing at Christmas time, which I know it's like too hot to think that, but hey, it's coming quick. We'll be there really soon. In that space, what we see is the Messiah was going to come and he was going to execute or accomplish or pull off righteousness and justice. The heart of God is a heart of mercy, is a heart of justice to come and take crooked paths and make them straight. To come and heal where there's brokenness. And we go all the way back to the very beginning of the story in Genesis. And we see as soon as our sinful hearts wrecked everything, God made a promise to come and make things right. So the heart of God is to actually move towards justice and mercy. And you have to fit that in with the world around us that still is very much in process. Where we have an already not yet promise where Messiah has come. God has begun to work to unravel the evil in the world around us. He causes people to push back darkness everywhere. But it's not finally finished yet. And so we live in this tension now where there's injustice and unrighteousness and inequity all around us. So before we get caught up in strategies or ideologies or who to vote for, this text tells us to start with understanding just who God is, what it means to actually come close to him so that your heart is seeing what he sees, to, to look at people the way God actually sees them. So our goal is not to be an expert. Our goal is not to have all the answers. It's actually to embody this idea of justice and righteousness and equity. Look in verse 10. He's after he says, if you seek me, then you'll understand. He says, for wisdom will come, get this, into your heart. Not into your voting booth, not into your blogs, into your heart. And knowledge will be pleasant, it will be pleasing, it will be nourishing to your soul. And discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you. God's design is that his people embody mercy. They don't just do it on occasion. They don't just put on matching t-shirts every so often and go have an initiative in the city. It's that it would be part of how we see the world. It would come into our heart that God's people would actually embody the heart of God because it is a heart of justice and mercy. Again, all the way to Jesus, which is the punchline of every sermon. Look to Jesus as the one who perfectly embodied righteousness and justice and actually pushed past equity to give us not what we deserve, but what we could never earn on our own with his mercy and his grace. God's people get to think about the world with that from the inside out. It's something that kind of shapes and molds all of us. So in that space then, the, the desire is not just to think theologically about something, but to think practically about it. To let your thoughts of God press themselves out into your real life because you do what you love. The Proverbs tell us to guard our hearts because it's the wellspring of life. And could you understand that you have lots of prejudice and you have lots of ideas and you have lots of, of misinformation about you and the world and the poor and the oppressed and what's happening globally? There's lots of things that are competing for your heart's affection. And Jesus wants to model for us what the Proverbs are calling us to, to put God at the center of your heart and life. Jesus just says, hey, I'm doing what I hear the Father tell me to do. I'm doing what the Father told me to do. I'm responding to the Father. So as he models that for us, as his followers then follow the Father, as they hear God, as they take fear of him into their hearts, it begins to shape them and mold them. 
And let me just kind of put a quick plug in here. So it says to fear the Lord in verse 5. And then you'll move towards righteousness and justice. That's what's going on in like 8, 9, and 10. And then in 12, it says that will deliver you from the way of evil speech and people who are perverted and those who are on unrighteous paths and those who are pursuing darkness, those who rejoice in doing evil. So you have these three things, orienting our heart around who God is, following after what he calls us to, and then turning away from the old way, the, the things of the flesh. We use Colossians chapter 3 a lot in our church to kind of talk about a framework for what we're trying to do as a people. And at the core of that passage is this idea of how transformation happens. It happens as we trust God and we turn away from the things we've been and then living into the heart that God has for us. So that's just like a side note for my Colossians 3 friends who, who love that text as much as me. It's right there in this passage as well, because that's about transformation. It's about our heart being healed and renewed. So now let's survey Proverbs. Like if that's what it calls us to and says where it begins, let's now see the wisdom of Proverbs. Just kind of go in a scan across the text. And this is the reason why we're having you read kind of one chapter a day in July and August. I actually felt overwhelmed with like all the different passages trying to bring them to you in a coherent way. So I want to use just four concepts or four ideas. There's a ton more in there. And if you're reading, you've seen a lot more than these. But let me kind of call your attention to four things I want you to see. One, I want you to see exercise mercy is actually an offense to God himself. So if you're taking notes, maybe write these down fast. Proverbs 14, 31 says this, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. The way the Bible talks that we relate to image bearers who are made in the image of God and therefore they have dignity. So our lack of mercy, our lack of justice, our lack is earns or deserves. It's not whether or not we like them or agree with them. We're oriented around who God is and injustices are an offense to God himself. Proverbs 17.5 says this, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Those who say that's what they deserve in that space, you're, you're mocking the one who actually owns their life and their heart. Proverbs 19.17 says this, it says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deeds. I want you just quickly to see as the Proverbs get started as we survey about justice and mercy. There's a Godward orientation even in how you understand the people in front of you and what it looks like to actually engage with them. Because of God's mercy and his grace, when we relate to his image bearers without mercy and grace, it offends their maker. It offends their creator. And the scripture is clear about this in so many places. And there's a constant call to God's people to remember their own position as well. It's a, an equalizing sort of thing for us, right? So maybe that's the second point, to see people as equally made in God's image. I want you just to understand the way the Bible talks is to understand like there's a, a level playing field about who we are, regardless of our economic status or where we come from, what our mistakes have been, what upper hand we got, the help that we received, the help we didn't receive, the liabilities or addictions that we inherited. All of that, the scriptures say, still make us equal in the eyes of God. This is a radical idea among other religions to think about God being the one who gives dignity regardless of class or situation in society. So Proverbs 29, 13. So the poor man and the oppressor, they meet together. The Lord gives the light to the eyes of them both. The Bible pushes away from an us versus them mindset and actually puts all of us in a space of equal need. 
So throughout the Old Testament, there's a constant call to God's people towards justice and mercy by reminding them that they were once slaves in Egypt. You'll see it all over the place. In Deuteronomy, it shows up over and over and over again. And it comes in spaces of like, hey, don't like harvest every single thing you can out of your field. Leave some stuff for the poor. Because remember, you once were slaves in Egypt. When it comes to how you treat your servants, he, he says to treat them with justice and mercy. Because remember, you were slaves in Egypt. He gives this warning in Deuteronomy 6. Of they're about to come into the promised land. And he says, as you come into that promised land and you're going to inherit houses you didn't build and vineyards you didn't plant, remember you were slaves in Egypt and I'm the one who gave you all of this. Proverbs constantly roots our understanding of justice and mercy first in who God is and then in a reminder of what he's done for us. In the equality of all people, which this is not a very American idea. You think about the way you relate to people based on their economic status, what you understand or guess to be their situations, their decisions. We normally see somebody who's in a typical situation and we make assumptions about why they are there. And the Bible doesn't talk like that. It actually gives us categories of righteous and unrighteous poor and righteous and unrighteous wealthy. And so you'll see a call on the unrighteous poor side against, against laziness, but on the unrighteous wealthy side against injustice and greed and quick gains and, and oppression. And then you'll see a righteous poor who are faithful to God and God's entrusted to them a certain socioeconomic status for they might seek him and follow him. And then you see a righteous wealthy that God has blessed abundantly so that they use their resources to bless those around them. We have a habit of judging by how we see someone. And Proverbs over and over and over again reminds us of the equality of people made in his image. And it helps us to move with compassion where, where you're maybe fed up or you're frustrated or, or you feel like somebody had enough chances to remember how God actually moves towards you. So, so there's this equalizing in the book of Proverbs that helps us actually see God as our maker, which puts us in a space where, where we see uh, wherever someone is as equal to us. New Testament talks about it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Paul says, hey, where is there grounds for boasting? Everything you have has been given to you by God. Therefore, there's no way you should be arrogant towards those who have something different. We quickly kind of move towards our stuff as if we somehow earned or deserved it which sets us up towards pride. It sets us up towards greed. It sets us up to actually turn a blind eye to those that are in need. But, but the Bible talks in ways of equality, which are super helpful. And in the world around us, then, we explain some of the injustice to hear when the world is hostile. There, there is real oppression, real, real danger, real, real crime, real, real systemic issues that actually harm people. So, so there's a temptation not to get involved, but the scripture simply calls us to, to see, to, to move towards, to actually engage with people. So, so this is the third thing I want you to see. There's a continued call to simply see the injustices around you and then act towards them. So, so there's an equality. There's a way that God calls us actually to respond to people as if we're responding to him. And then he just says, hey, I want you to see this. So Proverbs 21, 13 says, um, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. And then again, this passage from, from Proverbs 28, 27, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will, will get many a curse. 
So seeing and hearing, we're called to actually just simply engage, to, to notice, to move towards. Because to notice in the idea of the Spirit of God is to move towards. For God to see us is for Him to, to move towards us. So in, in Proverbs 29, 7, we get this idea that, that there's a place where people who um, struggle, they get overlooked and um, the wicked actually don't notice. So it says a righteous man knows the rights of the poor, but a wicked man doesn't understand such knowledge. It's a call to, to put yourself in someone's shoes and try to understand what's going on. It's a call to compassion. Hey, I know the global economy is super complex. I know systemic injustice is super complex. I know when you think about privilege and the way racism has affected our country for so long, it is super, super, super complex. But God's people don't get an option of simply just stopping, saying, I don't know, it's too complicated. This passage says that the righteous man actually knows the, the rights and the ways and the situation of the poor, but a wicked man just ignores it, doesn't even try to understand what's going on. God's people are called into difficult, complex situations to push back darkness because oftentimes that is where the darkness is. If it was easy, like it would be over already. These are things that are tangled up into our affections and things that are generational and things that actually have human responsibility and God's sovereignty and, and social issues and all kinds of ideas floating around. They are super, super complicated. And in the middle of that is a call simply to move towards them and to stand up for the rights of the oppressed. So, so Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says this, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. It's a call to see. Open with a story of me seeing and turning away. I was scared. I didn't know what to do. I had other things on my mind. I wasn't there to help somebody. I was there to get a po' boy, for crying out loud. And all of a sudden, here's this moment that comes upon me. And I didn't do what Proverbs 31 says to do. I still don't even know what the exact right thing would have been, but but I've replayed that moment a hundred times in my head. What if I just would have stepped and said, hey, are you guys okay? Do you guys need help? What, what if I should, rather than like picking who was at fault and what all they were on and what they deserve, what if I just would have stepped towards it and said, hey, I want to just speak something. Are you, are you guys okay? Can I just break the cycle for just, for just one moment? So, so the scripture says to, to notice, to speak, to try to understand what's going on. And it gives us some causes, right? It says very clearly there's this repeated idea of unequal weights and measures. And it calls it an abomination, actually. So if you're in the marketplace and you're unfair in your business dealings, it says it's an abomination to the Lord, it says. It's all over the place. So there's like real injustice. And I don't know if you want to go down the roads of like predatory lending, if you want to go down to the place where people can't get the credit that they need. I don't know exactly where you want to locate that. But, but the scripture talks about like real injustice. So in Proverbs 13, 23, it says, The fallow ground of the poor, it would yield much food, but it has been swept away through injustice. There are real forces moving towards the vulnerable in our city and in the world that God's people are called to stand against. So there's injustice and there's oppression. Proverbs 22, 16 says this, Oppression of the poor, I'm sorry, whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. It just calls it 
oppression. If you oppress the poor to increase your own wealth, when it comes to wages, when it comes to what they deserve, how you actually engage with them. It says in Proverbs 22, uh, verse 22 and 23, it says, Do not rob the poor because he's poor or crush the afflicted at the gate for the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob from them. Proverbs 30, 14 says, There are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives to devour the poor from off the earth. The needy are among these. So there's a call to understand real injustice and real oppression and then begin to move towards the needs of people around us. I thought about Martin Luther King Jr. in the Civil Rights Movement in his kind of famous letter from the Birmingham jail when he just calls white moderates to understand that our destinies are tied together. Where he says that we are tied in a single garment of destiny. That actually because we're all under the banner of God, who's the creator of all things, and to move towards the poor with kindness and compassion, understands kind of at the baseline that we're in this world together. And what we do for the poor, we're actually doing for God. Jesus says this in Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats. Whatever you didn't do for the poor, for the needy, for the naked, for the hungry, for those in prison, you didn't do for me. And what you did do for the poor and the naked and the needy and the hungry, those in prison, you did unto me. This gives motivation and stamina beyond the malaise and confusion of the political and ideological and systemic issues that we face. It helps us not throw our hands up, but rather humbly and slowly and patiently move towards the spaces that we see with courage, believing that God is the one who actually cares more about this than anybody else in the universe. And if God is the one who cares more, then there's always hope. So, so try to understand. I know it's super complicated. The Proverbs would say, notice, look, see, try to move towards and understand what's actually Going on, And then for sure, don't contribute to the injustice. All the commands about what happened to the wicked and those who take advantage are commands to you not to be participating in systems of injustice, which again is like super complicated in a global economy. I don't know exactly all of the answers, but our reflex is one of asking for God's help. And then where we see we've been complicit in something to repent not to feel shame or divest ourselves of our privilege, but, but actually engage in ways that move towards justice and mercy. That's the way the scriptures begin to talk. So, so don't contribute to injustice. Notice the injustice. And then another thing in Proverbs, the fourth thing I want you to see is the Proverbs talk about seeing your resources and what you have as opportunity to be a space where you bring about justice and mercy. So it's not just out there. God actually entrusts to his people at whatever level they have, whatever he's given them so that they would participate with him in his work of justice and mercy in the world around us. So, so we're told to, to not withhold what we have, but to do what we can in spaces. So Proverbs 3, 27, 28 says this, don't withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Which means God's given some level of power to us as agents in the world around us to actually move towards his mercy and justice. And he just says, hey, don't withhold the good that you have. And maybe you're like, dude, my bank account is zero. I got, I got nothing. How am I going to actually contribute? And so go past material things to, to your social situation, to your network of relationships, to simple compassion. Maybe the only commodity you have that's a kingdom commodity is compassion. Could you bring that to bear on a situation and not withhold compassion 
from those whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. To think about all the commodities you have. And don't say to your neighbor, go and come back again tomorrow and then I'll give it when you have it with you now. There's a constant call to see what you have as given to you by God. Again, we have this quick reflex to forget. There's like this amnesia we have of how we got to where we are. So like I have friends who their parents constantly ask them for money. Our situation was like our parents bought us our first washer and dryer. Hey, that like 700 bucks or $450 in 1999, whatever it was, that, that tipped our whole economy, man. Everything was hanging on 400 bucks. And rather than going into the dark, into the black, into the red, into the whatever, into the negative, the negative is red. That's right. <laughs> that way or this way, whichever way the chart goes. Rather than going into the negative, we, we were going in the positive. When I had friends who had to put that on credit. It's just a washer and dryer for a 22-year-old who's newly married, but it sets a kind of trajectory. And I quickly forget how much I've been given. The way the Bible talks is to remember, remember, remember the mercy and grace of God so that you use those things to bless those around you. And then a key passage in Proverbs 11 is that when God blesses his people, it's meant to be a gift to the whole city. So Proverbs 11, 10 says this, when it goes well with the righteous, the same word, the, the idea of righteousness and justice and equity, this idea here, the righteous, when it goes well with those who are embodying righteousness, when they prosper, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. When those who have systems of oppression are taken down, there's much rejoicing. When those who are pursuing righteousness prosper, it's good for those around them. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. And by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. The logic of this is that it's good for a city when those who are practicing righteousness are blessed. And that doesn't mean that if you promise to give 10% of everything you get, God's going to give you a whole bunch and you'll win the lottery. I don't think that's the best way to understand that. But there is an understanding of the basic, simple things you've been given are meant to be kingdom commodities that you invest in the world around you. And to the degree you have been blessed to reinvest that into the city is really good for the city. So God gives to his people things to share. I just love like the way our church is engaged in the world around us. I just did a quick, like, a quick thought about this. So we have members who've started nonprofits to care for those with disabilities. I mean, they're like on the line, they're raising money, they're making a massive difference with regular programs to work with those in our community with disabilities. We have those who volunteer with the homeless. We have those who've started holistic ministries in the urban core to bring about social and spiritual and, and physical help to people. We have people that do fostering and adoption. We have missionaries that are members of our church who are on the front line in other countries working with refugees. We have people who've sacrificed generously here to be able to make that happen, to send those missionaries overseas. We have people that are mentor, mentoring at-risk teens. We have people that do pro bono work for those who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford their services. We have people that work in crisis pregnancy centers to come near the vulnerable in those spaces and show compassion and offer their resources and help. We have people who are working in social work and in counseling and in schools, trying to make a difference in spaces that feel really, really dark. These are examples of taking what they've been given, even their own passions and desires and their own proclivities, their own gifts and their skills, the things they would naturally do to stop and go, why do I naturally do that? Well, maybe God actually gave that to me through this complicated fabric of my family and my education and my relationships and my personality and my temperament, all that coming together where this just makes sense to me. And now God deploys those things 
into the world around us. The way Proverbs talks, as we see like to treat people a certain way is to respond to God. To think about equity with people, to, to see injustice, is also to see what you've been given as part of the solution to an unjust world around us. So Proverbs 21.3 um, says that we are to do righteousness and justice. It's more acceptable to the Lord than even sacrifice. More than your religious duties inside this building to be out in the world showing mercy and justice is close to the heart of God. And in that space, it is super complicated. And you would lay over the situations of your life the complexity of Proverbs. Remember, we've talked about this like a tapestry where there's not really easy answers. It's not a Rubik's Cube or it's not a, it's not a Magic 8 Ball. It's not a fortune cookie. There are things that are complicated. So you'll see things like don't rebuke a fool according to his folly. The next verse says rebuke a fool according to his folly. And you're like, there you go. There's contradictions. No, no, no. Sometimes what's required is rebuke. Sometimes what's required is not. Sometimes giving money to somebody in need on the street is the best thing to do. Other times, experts would tell us not to do that. So what do you do in those spaces where you're not sure what to do? The same way you would engage with somebody who's in a relationship with you that you're wondering, man, should I move towards them with courage to correct or rebuke? And that might cost me. And you pray for wisdom there. Proverbs would have us seek the Lord, cry out to him, search for it as hidden treasure, and then he will answer to us what we should do. To have a reflex when we don't know what to do, to ask for God's help. It's, it's sophisticated. There's lots of contingencies. There's lots of things that are not super clear. And yet what is most clear is a call to move towards the spaces of injustice in the world around us. In that space then, as we close, I want you just to see where our ultimate hope is at. I kind of said it at the beginning, right? It's not in doing all the right things. It's not in perfectly executing all the plans. It's not in memorizing all these passages and then doing them perfectly. It's entrusting the one who made both the oppressed and the oppressor. It's in the one who actually owns both the poor and the wealthy. The one who embodies justice and mercy to look to him for our only hope and to see the promise that he's made to one day come and make all things new. He says in Proverbs 17:5, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker and he who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. God promises justice throughout his word. It says it's actually going to kind of move towards people and situations to make things right. And Jesus proved God was worthy. He proved God kept his word. He put a deposit down on full redemption for all of the world when he died on the cross to answer the question of what to do with all the injustice in the world. Because here's the crazy thing. The call that there would be justice one day is both incredibly comforting and it creates a problem for you. Because you've participated in injustice. You, you've done things that are unjust. There's, there's things flashing through your mind even this morning. We're like, dang, I should have done that differently. There's places where, where you've actually been on the giving side of injustice. And the good news and the hope for all of the world is that Jesus stepped into our place, took the penalty for all of that upon himself, showed us mercy, absorbed our injustice to give us his righteousness so we could be rescued and healed. It's for the forgiveness of your sins for sure and it's for the transformation of your heart so you can follow him in the world around you. Would you bow your head with me and close your eyes just for a moment? I want us to take communion. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's open to you regardless of your background or tradition. If you're trusting Jesus for your righteousness, I want you to come and celebrate this meal with us. If you're not, what you've been hearing this morning is about a God who is 
not out there somewhere theoretical, but who, who in a very real way stepped into the world around us. We said Proverbs is this kind of earthy, hands in the soil kind of thing. And the incarnation of God himself says that God came into our world, took on human form, lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we should have died so that we could be forgiven and set free. That's an invitation to you who don't know Jesus to come to him and trust him. In a moment, we'll take communion. There'll be folks in the back of the uh, hallway as well who would love to pray for you. If there's something God's stirring in your heart, you want to talk about what it means to trust Jesus, you, you want to unburden yourself, you need something in your situation that's going on that you need help with, you just want someone to pray blessing over you, there's people in the hallway near the bathrooms who would love to do that. And as we sit and we sing, we want you just to bring your heart to God and thank him for what he's done. Ask for him to help shape your heart towards his heart. It says if you ask and you seek, he's going to answer. He'll give you what you need when it comes to justice and mercy. So where you feel confused or overwhelmed or undone, come to him. And then if you're following Jesus, come take communion as a reminder of how he solved this problem. Let me pray for us. There'll be servers here in all the aisles, gluten-free is here in the middle. There's some individual cups over there on the right as well. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for being a God of justice and mercy. You held those two things together perfectly, even though it's complex and never fully understood by us in this life. You, you held the ability to deal with all the injustice in the world through your mercy and compassion. We just say thank you. Would you nourish your people now with the truth of what you've done through your broken body and shed blood? And we ask God you would speak to those who don't yet know you. Would you draw them to yourself? Show them mercy, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.